Welcome to TV7 Israel's podcast. We invite you to listen and share our latest content from Israel and the region. Shalom from Jerusalem. This is Powers in Play, our monthly program dealing with global affairs. And uh, we have our distinguished panel here. First of all, a new participant, Ambassador Ronnie Leshnoyar, formerly a foreign service officer in various posts, culminating in being Israel's first ambassador to NATO. Welcome. Thank you. Next to you, uh, former ambassador to Washington and former deputy foreign minister, Danny Ayalon. Welcome to Dr. Colonel in the Reserves, Iran Lerman, um, with a distinguished career in military intelligence and the national security staff, as well as academia. Welcome. Thank you. And Colonel in the Reserves, Ruven Ben Shalom, with credits to numerous to mention here, we will leave it for an entire program later. <laughs> uh, it's almost a year since uh, Putin's invasion uh, into Ukraine was launched. Time to uh, try and take stock to see whether uh, there is any ray of hope. Uh, of course, as we know, every war must end sometime, somehow. But right now, as um, the harsh conditions of winter are hammering uh, the Ukraine uh, almost um, as heavily as the Russian rockets, um, it is a bleak situation. And one of the uh, uh, major points we would like to go into is how Europe is trying to maneuver between the various powers United States, Russia, NATO as an alliance. So, Ronnie, first over to you. What has Europe learned about its strength and weaknesses after the first year of the war? Thank you, Amir. So now that I'm not uh, an active diplomat, I'm free from the chains of diplomacy and I can be uh, uh, even... Join the club. <laughs> <laughs> even blunt uh, uh, at times and to speak up my mind uh, 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 freely. So, um, um, just before the war in the Ukraine started, uh, um, um, uh, NATO, uh, the organization which is supposed to protect uh, uh, Europe, was in a huge crisis. Uh, because of what happened during the Trump administration and uh, to the dismay of uh, most Europeans, also under the Biden administration. Uh, uh, I'm saying this because at the end, at the end, Europe don't have any real capacity to defend itself from outside threats, be it Russian threats, Chinese threats, Islamic threats, etc. Europe is totally dependent on American defense uh, 
uh, might. Uh, now, when I say this to European colleagues, they, they rebel against, uh, against this uh, uh, statement. But this is the... Why? Is there an Euro- a European identity? Or do they all say it because of their own uh, specific countries? There is European pride. The French, the Germans, the, the only two, I mean, within the EU, I mean, the, the, the number one military power within the EU... Uh, uh, withdrew from the organization three years ago. Britain. Right. No other European uh, EU member state has real military capacity to defend not only Europe, but its own territory. Even the French. Forgive me, God, for saying this. Uh, uh, Forgive me the goal. (laughs) There are only only three real militaries in NATO. The American military, the British military, and the Turkish military. This is why Turkey, by the way, is so important for NATO. Because not only that they have a military, they're willing to sacrifice uh, troops defending NATO uh, 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 territories. So this is a sort of uh, Gastarbeiter, as they used to send right. workers to West Germany right. in the 60s. Right. And it's better to have Turkey on your side than on the other's uh, uh, side. So, so what was a known secret uh, before Russian invasion to the Ukraine became a reality following the invasion. It was clear that Europe don't have the capacity to defend itself and only the Americans can protect uh, 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 Europe. Ruven, um, as an experienced uh, pilot in the Israeli Air Force, as well as a liaison officer with uh, foreign uh, military forces, um, mostly the uh, US armed forces, but uh, others uh, too, Um, what is uh, uh, your comment on what happened uh, in recent weeks when Ukraine uh, asked for tanks and uh, there was this uh, strange dance where uh, the Germans first said, we will not send our leopards until and unless the Americans decide to send their Abrams, even though they are less suitable uh, for this terrain and will take more maintenance and more time. And then um, President Zelensky, having gotten his wish, at least uh, it was declared that way, now wants to go into the air. He wants fighters, um, F-16s or uh, Rafale or other uh, European-made fighters. Are the Ukrainians up to the job? Um, Or are they asking it in order to show Russia that in this war of attrition, they will have stamina? I think warfare changed also in this arena and everywhere in the world. It used to be that brave fighter pilots needed to cross the line, fly deep into enemy territory, and then put the the, uh, target, but that no, no more. I think right now, the most important tools are precision intelligence and precision munitions. And that is what's been playing out in Ukraine. From what we see, I think, a lot of American intelligence. So first, you have to know where the targets are. And then sophisticated systems to take them out. You don't need pilots. You don't need planes. So I think a lot of what we see now has to do with the image. Okay, American-built F-16, not American F-16, American-built F-16s flying by the Ukrainians. That would mean something. Still, I don't think that would give some kind of superior capability that will tilt the scale. Even tanks, you know, we're talking about uh, uh, something that it looks, the images look like World War II, and it's not very different. So I don't think that itself is going to tip the scale. And also a tank is a target that can be taken out. Still, I think the imagery is important. We have to see that the West is pouring in munitions, in a way feeding this war 
enabling the Ukrainians to a success that maybe none of us believed was even possible, right? The United States now is sustaining the Ukrainians, enabling it even to the point where there are American voices that say they could win by the summer. We can debate this later. How do you define victory? So uh, the, the fact that the Russians will leave, okay? But I said on this program already, the Russians will never say we lost and leave. That's not the way it's going to play out. But again, F-16, you could train some pilots, you could fly F-16, they could have some visibility, some successes. That is not the strategic thing to tip the scale. So, Iran, um, Reuven talks about uh, the Americans supplying uh, munitions to the American industrial base. He's churning out um, ammunition. It's a shell game, one may say. They, they sent uh, thousands of, of artillery shells and, and other yeah. stuff. But if we move from... Rockets, really. Rockets, yes, uh, HIMARS. But if we move from precision to decision, from capability to intention, what goes in the minds of decision makers here all around on, on both the uh, Kiev side, the Moscow side, but also Brussels and the other European capitals? Well, uh, clearly, uh, the Ukrainians pin their hopes on, on external support. Uh, this is the one thing that Russia clearly does not have. Um, when it comes to military supplies, their only significant military supplies have been the Iranians, which tells you something about the state of the Russian industries. If they, uh, in order to catch up with, with uh, their deficiencies, they need to turn to a, uh, a country like Iran. The Chinese are clearly um, let's say, much more verbal than practical in terms of their support or, or sympathy with the Russian position. So everything hinges to some, on, on the Ukraine's ability to build on Zelensky's very impressive soft power influence, on the soft power effect of the Ukrainians positioning themselves not simply as the defenders of, uh, of a, a, a territorial status quo in Europe, but also as defenders of democracy. And this is played in a very impressive fashion in both Washington and key European capitals. The, the transformation of the German position is remarkable. Whether they are the, the, ultimately they will find the budgets for the, uh, it's quite similar to what happened to the Japanese from um, becoming very stingy and uh, very uh, almost they, pacifist. They broke the 1% barrier some time ago already. Now, we all know that at the end of the day, this is, a, this is Spain 36 to the future conflict between the U.S. and China. And, and attention is already now being drawn again to the dynamics of this confrontation because of the, the whole balloon story, which all of a sudden made, made, made all of us look up and, and, and look far into balloons. the future. <laughs> but, uh, Reminded so, me of the Hindenburg, but uh, <laughs> that's, well, that's another airship. Yeah. Um, and then, well, in this case, they needed somebody to burn them. But the bottom line is, this is a, um, a test of the ability of the West to come together, um, Biden, the Biden administration very clearly in its national security strategy uh, put American leadership back at the... Uh, but for how long? Well, all He said it's open-ended. For him, it is uh, clearly open-ended. He intends to run again and continue with this line. Um, 
the problem is that the as as Ruben said, and I agree, uh, a total Russian defeat is not in the cards. And as, at a certain point, something that can look like a Ukrainian success in gaining some territory, and then a negotiated outcome which will be messy and inelegant and will not return Ukraine to its 2014 borders, is something that the Americans are probably beginning to inch in that direction. Kissinger has already made a very interesting suggestion. Regarding Crimea or even He's the Donbass? Basically saying Ukraine in Europe, Ukraine maybe even in NATO, but without the areas which are... Eastern the, Ukraine. Uh, uh, now, Danny, uh, as a veteran Washington uh, watcher, um, we are a few months away from the election season of 2024, presidential, congressional, First, uh, of course, the primary um, elections, then the general. Um, is Ukraine, the Ukraine war, going to loom large in politics in America? Not at all. I don't think so. You know, never American voters <clears throat> went to the ballots on, uh, on foreign issues. You know, it's the economy stupid, as uh, it was said in 1992. But I think here... Uh, it depends, because clearly um, President Biden hinged his uh, maybe entire foreign policy on success in the Ukraines. And I think the Americans are quite happy to really with this war of attrition, you know, by proxy by the Ukrainians against uh, Russia, which has rendered to be really a third rate um, uh, a superpower and really on a slippery slope. I mean, we can talk later about uh, where this uh, war is going. I think Russia is going to lose, but we'll, about Washington. So... The Republicans are already protesting against throwing too much money through much material on, uh, on, the, on the Ukraines. Um, isolationism is coming back. So it all depends, as you mentioned, Amir, on 2024. If the Republicans win in 2024, I believe that the Ukraines will have a sober awakening. So you think we have at least two years yes. ahead of us? Yes. Of, of exactly. Um, war. Exactly. Now, I, yeah, I go ahead, that, Ryan. Uh, uh, to, uh, to continue uh, this line, I think for the Americans, uh, Ukraine is a distraction from its uh, uh, national security uh, uh, goal, which is not Russia at all. It is first and foremost China. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was evident in NATO, started under the Trump administration, who in fact, forced NATO to think China and continued with the Biden administration, which against the expectations of the Europeans who thought that finally we are free from this American-China obsession, Biden also told them China, China, China. And Russia is a distraction. It's not even the number two uh, a priority for NATO. And the Americans, the number two, if you ask me, is let's call it in general, global radicalization and terror. Uh, um, so so uh, this is why it took time uh, for the Americans and for NATO to uh, deal with... Uh, Are the, the Europeans um, jealous of the Americans for having all of these balloons um, in their airspace? <laughs> the Europeans, uh, by definition, are always jealous with the Americans, always economically, uh, strategically, uh, culturally, scientifically, and rightly so. Let me, ask, American. <laughs> let, let me ask you and, and the others regarding uh, NATO. 
and uh, the accession of Finland and Sweden and Turkey's uh, part in it. And please add to that the uh, NATO factor in the very uh, decision of Putin's to invade Ukraine because he wanted to prevent and preempt Ukraine from uh, joining NATO and having an umbrella. Um, so is NATO um, a bit of a paper tiger who, um, which for some reason other uh, powers uh, look at as if it has real teeth? First, NATO is not a tiger at all, paper or, or not uh, uh, paper. America is the power that you have to consider, not NATO. There is no such thing as NATO. NATO is America and America is, uh, is, uh, is NATO. Secondly, there was never a scenario of the Ukraine joining NATO as an ally. That's, that's fake. It's a Russian in, uh, 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 in, uh, Just as a partner for peace and uh, right. one of the interim... Same stages. as Georgia... Moldova or any other country which is in conflict, direct conflict with the Russians. The Americans and the Europeans will not sacrifice even one soldier for the defense of the Ukraine or for that matter, any other non-EU member state. You have to keep it in- uh, What about Turkey, Finland, mind. Sweden? Well, Turkey is an important and, and, and critical ally within uh, 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 NATO. The Americans are absolutely interested in the continuation of uh, the active membership of Turkey in, uh, in NATO, sometimes even on the expense of Israel's relations with the Americans. We requested the Americans often to help us uh, soften uh, uh, Turkey's uh, uh, block of Israeli activities in, uh, in NATO. The Americans were, were always polite to us, but never, you know, got out of their skin in order to pacify the, the Turks. Finland and, uh, and, uh, and uh, Sweden, the Americans will not use their might to force the hand of the Turks to allow, to open the door for Sweden and, uh, and Finland. Iran, um, when one talks about NATO, of course, one uh, can talk about uh, the, uh, the military forces of the various member states, um, small contingents of uh, which yep. are set aside for a quick reaction force or something um, uh, along that line. But what lies behind the uh, Ukrainian wish to, to join NATO and others is Chapter 5. The idea that once you're in, all the others will come to, the, to your Even rescue. How realistic is this? It was never very realistic. Uh, the only realistic scenario is if it is done under an agreement with Russia and the conditions for such an agreement. Uh, as I said, Kissinger is trying to outline a possible such uh, end, uh, end game. Um, it's, not, it's not unimaginable because Russia is today in a very weak, has a very weak hand to play. Um, they underperformed in practically every respect. Uh, even their uh, most, what they thought would be their most powerful weapon uh, the uh, pressure on the oil markets and the gas markets. Uh, they did achieve uh, a, a skyrocketing uh, price uh, hike, but they did not strangle Europe. They and So in every respect, they have a weak hand. Can they be brought to a situation where in return for uh, territorial gains, they will accept uh, the extension of NATO to the Dnieper? Uh, I doubt it. The EU 
maybe. The EU as a, an economic club, not as a military club. Can I, can I challenge the Please. things that were said so far? Because it's very interesting. I'm learning a lot from this. But this image portrayed here that NATO is no paper, no tiger at all. There was never a possibility that uh, Ukraine would join NATO. In a way, you could ask, so what, so what happened to Vladimir Putin? Why was he so concerned? Why did the West enable this to go forward? Why did we allow it, right, Putin to be scared? And he was concerned and scared, warning us repeatedly, saying, look, I'm going, to do, I'm going to do with this. If you continue to bolster these abilities and to threaten me with Ukraine joining, I will, I will act. And then he did. This even more uh, uh, sh shows the mistake the West did. Isn't this, isn't this right? I don't, I don't think so. I think I'm not a Putin expert, but from what I heard from Putin, ex, real Putin experts, is that what he had in mind is something totally different than the fear of, uh, of NATO. It goes back to history, to promises, uh, uh, to his uh, domestic uh, problems, etc. It's not the fear of uh, NATO's uh, and, uh, might. And by the way... Not uh, only fear, I'm talking even about hurting his pride, okay? Couldn't the West have enabled right. Putin a right. bit That's, more perhaps, perhaps. pride and not jo go forward with Joining this. NATO is not about Chapter 5. It's about joining a club that you desperately want to be a member of. And it's a, a, a kind of an opening to membership of the, of the EU. And, uh, and uh, I think this is why uh, from Montenegro to North Macedonia to, to the Ukraine wants to join uh, 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 NATO. And there are many financial and other benefits in joining NATO. But NATO is about, it is not about fighting. But the success of NATO is when it is not fighting, in deterrence. Let, let me shift it, um, the discussion uh, to another issue. Um, you are all veterans of the Israel Defense Forces. Some of you spent a few years. Some, some of you uh, were career officers spending uh, your mature lifetime in, in uh, ever-growing uh, positions of authority. What we see now in uh, the Ukraine is that the Russians are having a small cater of career officers. Generals are being killed, and if they are not killed, they are being demoted. And they have a lot of conscripts uh, with uh, barely any training, any, any uh, rifles uh, um, or food or clothing even. And they have mercenaries, including prisoners freed in order to to um, be cannon fodder. Uh, of course, there is a difference in motivation. The Ukrainians are fighting on their homeland for their homeland. But what can we learn about uh, what Israel considers its citizens' army, its popular army, um, universal military training, even though it's uh, not really universal, only have the population, but nevertheless, uh, you have conscription, then some people go into the reserves, and a small percentage stays on uh, for their career. What can we learn about the makeup of armies, especially in the military? You were Air Force. Air Force is an elite branch. Uh, you were in intelligence. You too, the same. It's not representative of the grants of, of the infantry battalions. Can we learn any universal lesson from what happens when Russia fights Ukraine? 
Well, if you ask me, I think that we already can learn that our next war in Lebanon or the northern arena should look totally different. I think there are many operational lessons learned that maybe we shouldn't even discuss here. I'll go tell my bosses next time I'm in the reserves. But I hinted to it before as far as precision munitions, intelligence, no more the brave uh, uh, pilots. Israel itself relies on a strong air force. We want air superiority, air dominance. Maybe we could go to, like our enemies do, precision rockets. Press a button and take out any target we want. But I want to, I want to point at another very interesting aspect. I think the big difference we see now is a military of a democracy and a country that is not a democracy. And why is that? Because in countries that are not a democracy, people are afraid to tell the boss, hey, we're not prepared. Hey, we don't have equipment. Our food is lousy. Here we can do that. By the way, even in Israel, that we are still a democracy, by the way, this morning we are still a democracy, then even here we have challenges with that. Some people that question our readiness and preparedness, they themselves are criticized, right? So even in a democracy, there's an issue, but at least we have transparency. We have openness. Inside the military, officers can tell their commanders, I disagree with what you say. What we see with Russia is that for years, all they do is feed this image that Putin has that we can do anything. We're powerful. We, we can do anything we want. We'll go in there and we'll take Ukraine. Reminds one of uh, Stalin, and who didn't want to hear from his intelligence and military leaders that the German invasion is imminent. Now, that's almost sad to see. But I mean, didn't it happen also to Israel as a democracy that the I, military leaders didn't tell the politician the truth about the readiness of the military? Well, that, you're talking about Yom Kippur War, maybe, has to be a conception that we grabbed onto. But I'm saying, even today, the IDF leaders will say, we're ready for anything, right? Our enemy should know that we'll, we'll do anything we want. And there are voices that say, no, we're not ready. The Second Lebanon War was not a huge success. We had some failures. There's always something to learn. But that is a key difference. Iran. Uh, I, I was... Going back in my mind all the way to the uh, um, Rome, uh, the rowers of the Athenian boats and the and the uh, uh, bowmen of the Bri of the English mil uh, armies. That Where you personally <laughs> were accountable for the failures? <laughs> no, quite. But the the opposite. Uh, for the success. Uh, militaries, <laughs> militaries that are based on the free will of 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 men rather than uh, uh, the forced uh, conscription, uh, have been not always successful, but tend to be more successful than their enemies. And in our case, um, although we do have uh, forced conscription, but it is um, a condition that the people who serve accept uh, quite willingly as, uh, as a result of what they feel the country actually needs. Their, they see themselves as protecting their families, the way, our way of life, our very survival. Um, the, uh, the difference between the Ukrainian performance and the Russian performance is absolutely relevant here. If one believes in the war aims and in the military mission of one's own unit. True enough. And of course, at the end of the day, uh, all soldiers will tell you we fight for each other, for our friends. Our buddies. That's for right. our buddies. But that's, uh, that, that's what happens in the battlefield itself. But the, the broader uh, scheme of things in a democracy uh, means that people are fighting for things that they understand and they value. And you have a very clear sense that many of the Russian troops that went into Ukraine in the first stages of the war had no sense of any, pers any, any personal sense and stake. 
in what Putin they was They didn't doing. even know they were going to war. Some of them were from an exercise right in. No plans, no preparations. Right. So, Ronnie, um, you uh, had some experience um, as a military liaison to the Singapore Ar- Army Armed Forces way back in the uh, late 70s. Right. Um, I'm uh, not another Mexican? Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm not trying to ask you to extrapolate from that into Ukraine. But is there a difference in mentality between um, officers and men in different militaries? And um, are we, outside of the Russian-Ukrainian arena, making a mistake by trying to group them all together to us? Uh, they are basically similar. And of course, uh, there are some people of Russian extraction, many people of Russian extraction in Ukraine who are now Ukrainian patriots. Um, maybe there is a problem with different mentality between the invader, Russia, and the defender, Ukraine. Absolutely. I think that the invaded are more motivated to fight than the invaders who not always know what they are fighting uh, uh, for. Same for uh, uh, the Singapore armed forces. They are always uh, worried that the large Muslim countries neighboring them will try to eliminate them. Uh, uh, this is why they needed Israel's uh, uh, support. This is why the way that they think is quite similar to the way that we think. Uh, uh, so they look at, uh, at Israel as a model for, uh, uh, for them. But each such situation is different and it's, it's dangerous to make comparisons. I will uh, say that we have to be careful with any such uh, comparisons. By the way, the whole Russian-Ukrainian situation, and also the difference between Singapore and and Beijing, uh, proves that, uh, with all due respect to the great late Samuel Huntington, he was wrong about civilizations. Russian Russian and Ukrainian civilizations are quite similar. Um, But here you are, one is a democracy, one is an autocracy in in being, although there's had some... Fake democratic trappings, and and they are they could not be more different in how they fight and what they fight for. Now, Daniel, let, let me uh, go deep into your ancient past um, as a member of the Israeli delegation to the United Nations. Is there any chance here for some mediation um, by the UN Secretary General or another? Um, global presence, at least as a fig leaf. Um, of course, uh, there have to be secret talks between the sides, either bilateral or with some mediation. And then um, it will have to be dressed up uh, as, as some outside mediation. But can anyone, not the Israelis, uh, we know some Israeli prime ministers uh, tried it, And, uh, of course, um, they were scorned and laughed at uh, for trying uh, to, to butt in. But uh, international, multilateral organizations were running too, uh, was posted. Well, logically or rationally, there should be a role for the United Nations because supposedly this is the neutral, this is the one uh, world body where anyone, everyone can trust and uh, they can uh, butt in. They don't have uh, might behind them, but at least they can be, as you mentioned, either a fig leaf or the ladder for everybody's uh, sides to climb down. 
But this may be true only at the end game. This is after we know what will be the end game. The, the United Nations does not have any power, no imagination, not even uh, personnel to, to mediate and to suggest anything which is uh, operational or, or operative. Uh, the bodies of the United Nations are totally uh, paralyzed. You know, you have the veto by, uh, by Russia. So there's nothing that can be done over there. Ronnie mentioned here how almost defunct uh, NATO is, except the three major uh, military powers. The UN even is worse. And in the UN, you know, you, you pretty much, uh, you know, you have the powers neutralizing each other. It's the, you used to be the Soviet Union, now Russia and the United States, now China is beginning to show muscles and also to threaten with veto in the Security Council. Now, I want to just um, beg to differ a little bit with Ronnie. I mean, if we take another... It's uh, best that there are differences here because otherwise (laughs) we will all uh, drowse. Going back to bird's eye view, not just the people who are fighting and the commanders, and this is the American interest with Ukraine. It may be a distraction at first, but the United States has two major interests. You're not going to go into Hunter Biden. No, 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 no politics. From the United States' point of view, Ukraine is the writing on the wall vis-a-vis Taiwan. This is the strategic goal. So if they want to uh, actually keep China at bay, they want to show muscles that they're not going to let Russia win. And secondly, nobody talks about it, but it's the best kept secret in Washington, which is an economic uh, uh, benefit because the American arms uh, industry is flourishing like it has not done since World War II. Danny alone. Not to mention that they are an energy exporter. And of course, a hundred years after this merchants of death (laughs) scandal in World War I, we are back uh, to this theory. Remember what General Eisenhower, five-star general who turned to be a president, what he said on his last day in office. Why on his last day? Yeah. Why didn't he say it earlier? <laughs> the military-industrial right, complex. But, but by the way, when you read um, uh, minutes from his cabinet sessions, he said it almost from the beginning. Even yeah. though uh, his first uh, Secretary of Defense, Charles Wilson, was a General Motors uh, executive. Right. And on that we say, it takes one to know. Yeah. Right. One, one of the reasons why the EU uh, takes Israel more seriously now is because of the energy crisis in Europe mm-hmm. and Israel as a gas important and mm-hmm. weapon manufacturer mm-hmm. they take more it the, very more seriously the, more the second than the first Let's, very seriously. I, think, I think it was a bit baseless for us to say we can fill in 10% of the Russian loss that was um, about no, about 20 times uh, the actual ability we never said it but even if no, you no, can no, fill no, in no. 3% which is at the actual one of our former prime ministers said it on a visit okay. the most important <laughs> the most important uh, gas product that Israel has is the helium that some politicians are filled with <laughs> uh, now um, we are talking about powers in play let's talk about the power of personality now President Eisenhower was mentioned here, and when he took over from President Truman, he said, I will go to Korea, and uh, the uh, armistice talks started. Does it matter whether the uh, Russian chief, call it a czar, a president, doesn't matter, is Putin or a Putin-like ruler? Does it matter whether it's Zelensky or another Ukrainian politician. We know that in the, in the transition from 
Trump to Biden, there were differences, but not the basic one, the pivot to the East. What's, what's your view? I change Ruben? my mind every three years on this issue. So whatever I say now, I'll change my mind again. But what I see now is that it is 80% personality. Even Israeli politics. Wouldn't Israel look different without Benjamin Netanyahu as prime minister? I mean, One you, can't imagine you, such a scenario. So right. it's, no, but you may it's think futile to... We have reality. We have you know, the circumstances, the challenges, the constraints... And so, you know, it's this prime minister or that. No, it's, it's a lot based on the person, on the personality. Uh, and I think we can see this very strongly in other places. Look, this issue is going to be probably resolved diplomatically, as we said. Diplomacy has to do with human beings. I think a lot of this war has to do with pride, with personal image. Which is Psychology. Pretty, which is pretty amazing. Yes, I, I, I call it pride. I think people are, are Ruben, driven by to, this. To uh, Amir's question, this is why That's the UN is this. futile here. You need to All have right. a power that can really clobber on the heads of the right. two sides. You have to have some kind of mm. a, an arsenal of right. uh, measures which the UN doesn't have. Even the question of Zelensky, someone asked this week, yes, what will sure. happen if he's gone? Okay, it's war. He could, and that's a good question. Would they even act the same? Would their image be the same? Good question. I think it's a lot of well, cl- Clearly, uh, Zelensky is a product of the 21st century uh, in, in that he has reached... His image, his style, even his clothing have left a mark on the minds of so many people in the West. A professional actor. He is a professional actor and he acted, uh, he, he rose to the greatest role of his life in a very impressive fashion. Uh, I don't know if he writes his own lines, but they were excellent lines. Fashion, you know? fashion is the right word. And uh, he is, his presence in this story is part of the explanation why the West responded ultimately, you know, not to the first few days, but within weeks. Biden offered him a lift back home, you know, back to Washington, right? In the what, first what, few uh, days. What's your view, Ronnie? I, I agree that most of it is about personalities and the person in charge at a certain uh, moment. If it wasn't Putin, but it was, if, it, if, it was, if it was Yeltsin, then... You would have been in a different situation, or Zelensky and, uh, and another... Uh, Medvedev. Right. Poroshenko. Poroshenko, uh, right. Danny, what, what's your view regarding the American scene? Um, does it matter? Uh, it's a huge machine. You have Congress, um, and you have the president, the commander-in-chief. Uh, let's say tomorrow uh, Biden takes an afternoon nap and only wakes up months later and Kamala Harris is in charge. Would it matter? I think it would. I think it would certainly in visibility. I think that can embolden Americans' uh, enemies or rivals, whether it's China or even Russia. I think they will test her. So it's going to be a, a, a period of instability. And only if she measures up, then it can go back to our days. But it's going to be very dangerous. If Biden now goes out and Kamala Harris is in, it's going to be very, very dangerous. What about the operational level? We are talking about the strategic leaders, the, the uh, Roosevelt's, Churchill's, Stalin's, uh, and on the German side too. Um, we will not mention their names. Um, but there were also the General Marshall, the Eisenhower, MacArthur, um, the uh, the uh, British generals Montgomery and the others. Yeah. It did it did matter in the North African campaign, 
when uh, Okinlek and others... For being somewhat dismissive of Montgomery, but that, let's but leave. Not at, <laughs> at Alamein. Not at Alamein. Yeah. Uh, uh, 15 it, to 1 in, in material superiority. But there is no general uh, in this war uh, at the level of military command who, who stri- strikes us as a, you know, an inspirational leader. Uh, we could think of someone in our case, but yes, the, the category of uh, MacArthur is brilliant, is genius. But also MacArthur in Korea with huge mistakes after huge successes. True. And had to be replaced. A brilliant success and then uh, basically an ambition that, that was, could not be fulfilled. But in the case, what we do know, and this is my personal bias here, um, the role of intelligence, of specific targeting intelligence, uh, operational and strategic intelligence was absolutely crucial here in terms of the Western, the real Western support for Ukraine comes first and foremost that they are fighting with their eyes open and the Russians are fighting blind. Famous last words for this show, we will be back. Um, Central Intelligence Director Bill Burns recently said that the next six months will be crucial or critical in the Ukraine. What's of you? Can you dispute the DCI? Well, since he is a personal friend of mine, I can dispute him uh, with, with quite a respect. I think uh, we're going to see pretty much more of the same. But at the end of the day, it's Russia's loss. And why? You Not why. Okay. Your time is out. Russia's loss. Ronnie. My answer is very simple. I don't know. Your last uh, appearance here on the show. Thank you very much for coming. <laughs> if, if, if the Russians don't break through in the spring and early summer, this war will end with a bloody draw. Ruven Ben Shalom. I think this is uh, looking more and more like a proxy war between the US and China, so it's not going to end soon. Thank you all. Ruven Ben Shalom, Eran Lerman, Ronnie Leshnoyar, and Danny Ayalon. We will be back with another edition of Powers in Play soon. This is TV7 News, Israel. Goodbye. Thank you for joining us in another TV7 Israel podcast. For more content, visit our website at tv7israelnews.com or follow us on social media.